0: This is Tom Lee for MEGM Catalyst, and we're here today with my friend colleague, Joan Reed. Joan is the dean for, the actual title is Diversity and Community Partnership at Harvard. She was appointed to this new role in 2001, and so she's got 17 years in this role, which we'll be talking about in uh, a few minutes. I will say, everyone in the department feels she was the perfect person for the job. She is a pediatrician, uh, a child psychiatrist, she was trained at places like Johns Hopkins and Boston Children's Hospital, she has an MBA, she has an MPH, uh, she's a professor at Harvard Medical School, uh, she's done a lot, she knows everyone, she has been pushing this very important cause which we'll be discussing in a few minutes forward. And we want to take stock of where we are today. So thanks so much for joining us, John, and sharing your insights. Thank you. Uh, so the, the program you run, as I understand it, is aimed at developing leaders who are minorities, leaders in healthcare. Before we talk about the program itself, can you give us a feeling for what's the status of the problem? You know, how bad is it in 2017? Is it getting better? Uh, what's your case? So when we look
1: at leadership
0: in, in health care and
1: diversity in leadership in healthcare, care, it's been a longstanding problem. If we think about where we are today in our country, uh, if we look at underrepresented groups, black, Hispanic, Native American, Alaska Native, et cetera, roughly 29% of the population, 9% of physicians, Only 7% of our faculty in our medical schools. And if you look uh, more closely at those leadership positions in our school, the representation of these groups decreases as you move up the academic ladder from assistant professor to full professor. And if we turn to the level of our deans and chairs, there's a continued fall off. So that very few of our deans are uh, individuals who come from racial ethnic groups Uh, particularly um, from the black, Hispanic, and the Native American. But as you look at leadership, there's something even more striking in this. Oftentimes when we talk about groups underrepresented in medicine, we leave out Asians because while Asians are approximately 5% of our population, they're just over 12% of the physicians and 14% of our faculty But you do not see those percentages when you look at our deans and our department chairs. So if we look at our department chairs, to give an example, uh, in in the country, um, very few are from Asian groups. And if you combine this issue of race, ethnicity, and gender, you see a further fall off. Um, So just gender. In 2000, as of today, roughly 15% of our chairs are women, 16% of our deans are women. If you add gender to that, in 2014, of more than 2,500 department chairs across our medical school, only 29 were Asian women, only 10 were black women, and only 25 Hispanic women. So a clear underrepresentation in the leadership in our medical schools but if we turn to our hospitals we see a similar pattern if we look at some recent data from a survey from the uh, put out by the institute for diversity and health management and the health research and education trust of the american hospital association in their 2015 survey only 7% of the ceos and 7.6% of the cmos of our hospitals from the Black, Hispanic, Native American groups, strikingly, CEOs in 2015, 0.7% were Asian. So it's important to disaggregate and to start to really understand where these disparities in representation lie. And if you wanted to say, are we really seeing a change? Is there a difference over time? Uh, not really. If you look at our local health departments across our country between 2005 and 2013 the percentage of leaders of our top health agencies, the top local health department agencies, there was no change. For the race other than white or Hispanic, it went from 9% to 9%. So persistent problems, even as our population our demographics are changing and our uh, race ethnicity is changing uh, rapidly in our country. We are not keeping up with that in our public health, or our health systems, or our academic systems in terms of representation.
0: Well, those are compelling statistics. I mean, it makes the case that it's not just being a, a matter of time. Like uh, you know, you you know, you need more more, more women in our care, more Asians in our care, and that. Uh, uh, there'll be, like, a Bayesian announced thing where suddenly there'll be increases in the percentage of leaders who fit various groups. There's something more uh, to do besides weight. So, you know, so what's your take on the root cause of the problem?
1: I... I Think of this as, as occurring on multiple levels and, and really think of it as the individual, the institution, and in our society at large. And when I turn to the individual, I think about how are well are um, people prepared from their educational system, the quality of the education they receive, the kind of opportunities that they have to explore career paths, the kind of preparation that they have and for themselves, uh, are they prepared economically to move forward in terms of the finances? Are they prepared because many of the individuals that we're seeing are first generation, and to what extent do they even understand the nuances and the bureaucracy and how to move through to college, to medical school, to fellowship, to faculty, or to other kinds of leadership positions? When I think about our organizations, it's our historical Uh, cultures and policies and practices of exclusion, and to what extent are our institutions remodeling themselves so that they are prepared to deal with diverse individuals, diverse in terms of language, in terms of background, socioeconomic, nationality, etc. And our, our, our institutions have not kept up with the changes of our society, and our society itself is struggling in terms of the politics and the policies and the economics, and to what extent are we prepared to support individuals to move into leadership. But the other piece of this, I think, is also related to, uh, it's not just a matter of do we get individuals into the system. It's not just a matter of do they go to school. It's how do we nurture them, how do we prepare them, how do we retain uh, retain them and advance them in our organizations. And so in the, the numbers I shared with you, you see that there has been some change in terms of representation, particularly at the, the, the uh, entry levels. but it's in the leadership we're not seeing that representation. So how do we think about the kinds of programs that we have in place, but also how do we think about the, the mentors and the individuals who can sponsor, advocate for, recognize, talent that exists, and be willing to put
0: out the effort and energy to move people forward. Well, so that's a natural that that segue way to your program itself, and, you know, 17 years now if I'm counting correctly, and uh, you can tell us how many young candidates for leadership come through it. Uh, I know that you're increasing the number of leaders, and I know the graduates are a wonderful social network today. Uh, but you're training them one at a time. Uh, so tell us what do you do? How's it going? And how are you changing what you do as you learn and time goes by?
1: Right. So
0: the the program actually started in 1996. So before
1: I was dean, I've been at the medical school for over 25 years, and so started by the Commonwealth Fund. Uh, it was under the direction of Karen Davis, and the purpose was to. Identify physician leaders who had a capacity to address issues in our healthcare system that could improve the health of vulnerable populations, and at the same time increase the representation of minority physician leaders who are well trained in terms of clinical medicine, public health, health policy, uh, and management, and. Since inception or the program started in 1996, we've trained 130 individuals. They have all remained dedicated to improving the health for vulnerable populations. They have moved into the public sector from federal, state to local levels, the private sector, academic institutions, philanthropy. Um, they are publishing, they are leading, working on, on committees and task forces, um, Clearly, doing what the fellowship plans. I think a large reason why this works is because there's this understanding, particularly for physicians of color to work with these populations. There's a need for them to have a kind of training and understanding that you'd get from a school of public health about population health. We're dealing with populations, but also as we deal with these populations, we have to change systems, and it has got to be a capacity and an understanding of how you change infrastructure and operations such that you can address the kinds of challenges and barriers that exist because of economics or cultural other kinds of issues. So it's a combined training that leads to a degree at the School of Public Health or the Kennedy School of Government here at Harvard, but also involves leadership training, uh, a great deal of mentorship, from our alum and individuals across the country who understand the need for this kind of diversity leadership, uh, site visits across the country to various agencies, and projects that they work on uh, with communities and organizations so that they can better learn the, how to address the needs of those organizations, how to partner and collaborate, and help other individuals and entities better address the needs of, of populations. So it's
0: worked, but uh, there's a need for many more. Well, your program is wonderful. I know it gets great people and it opens doors for them, but it's just one program. You know, what's your prescription for the overall system? Uh, you know, to take the kinds of work that you've been doing and take it to scale. You know, I, I I I start with a place
1: that um, may not seem the most practical, but there's a part for me of there has got to be an understanding of the value of diversity, that having diverse perspectives, diverse backgrounds, uh, diversity in training actually leads to better outcomes. and that as we think about our systems, there should be a um, stepping back and saying, do we have diversity in the room, or does everyone look like everyone else? And what are we missing when we don't have that diversity? So I think that is a a number one issue in this, in the value of diversity in achieving excellence and in creating change. But I think the other part is also understanding the potential that exists in those that we see around us as we look at our students and our trainees and our faculty and individuals in our hospital systems and across our community and understand that they have a potential to contribute, to become leaders, to recognize that, to help them understand their potential and then to sponsor them. To provide opportunities for training and opportunities and access to resources so that they can continue to advance. It also means that those systems need to better monitor the kind of representation they have, the kind of programming they have, are people advancing, are they uh, living out what they say about diversity in terms of the outcomes that they have uh, across the board. And then this opportunities to build networks, I think one of the strongest things that's, that's happened with our fellowship is our fellows have been able to build a network among themselves, a network that crosses their country, so that they can support one another, they can remain connected. They do not feel so isolated when they go into spaces
0: where they are the only one. It's a great process you describe. Make the diagnosis by sticking your head up and looking around and assessing the situation and then beginning to cultivate the personnel who can change the environment and help uh, create a more diverse workforce and uh, to take good care of a diverse population. I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. I'm sure that we're going to be checking in with you from time to time in the years ahead so you can share new insights with us. But most of all, I want to thank you for doing the fantastic work you've done. And I know that your many mentees will echo that when they get a chance to listen to you online. So thank you again, Joan. And thank you again to our audience for tuning in. Thank you very much.